Welcome to DP City Church Podcast. Connect, grow, serve. I'll come expecting this morning. Come expecting Bob, huh? (laughs) Oh my gosh, we're going to have a good time. We are really going to have a good time. So first of all, what I want us to do is know, you know, I was going through praise and worship and singing, and it was great, and thinking, you know, God inhabits the praises of his people. And I believe this morning God is going to inhabit us in a whole new way. That's what I'm praying for, that, you know, and I always do this. I don't watch Dr. Phil anymore. I don't even know what time he's on, but I always, I learned a lot from him for a few years before he kind of went soap opera-ish. But he used to tell people, this is going to be the most changing day of your life. And I believe, I, yes, I believe our days can be like that. When we come to church, set this time aside. I mean, honestly, how many people are at the beach or at Disneyland, Knott's Berry Farm at the mall? They're sleeping in, they're eating waffles, whatever. But you guys have taken the time to come here, live fellowship. There's just something special about it, and I think God is going to honor that. So real quick, let's start off in prayer, okay? So Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the opportunity to come here. And Lord, changed. We want to be changed from glory to glory, from thinking to thinking into your image. We want to have your thoughts and your mind and your heart, your attitude about things. Overwhelm us, Father, I pray with your presence today. And we don't doubt you want to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First of all, I want to thank media and sound and lights. They're back there to just wave at them. Camera. Manuel is on media tonight, this morning, and I told him, dude, before you come Sunday, have an extra cup of coffee. I'm going to give you a raise. We're going to be praying for you. It's a wonderful job, but it's, it's a challenging job, so I pray that. And the second thing is, did you guys all get a hotel? If you didn't get a hotel, there's more in the back. Okay, three people got hotels. Come on. Now, here's the deal. Here's me. I think babies are wonderful. I think cell phones are wonderful, but not when they're going off and crying in church. But being raised in a Presbyterian church where, honest to goodness, if you sneezed, you better run outside and do it. That's just how it was. Very quiet. I don't know how the pastor did it, not getting any feedback. I like a little feedback. It's like, I want to know if you're there with me. So other than Reggie yelling at me half the time, thank you. That's what I want to know if you're with me or not. So if you are and you go, oh, my gosh, I never thought of that. Pastor Susan, that is great. Now, you may be a little afraid to do that. But three or four of you aren't, and I think that's great. But the ones who are, see the hotel I gave you with the cool quote on the back? Okay, raise it up. That's all I have to do. So let's try it out. So if I say to this side, like, God is great. Okay. Well, you're good. And he is mighty. And he does amazing things. You guys are so good. You're such off to a good start. Okay, so say this with me. I'm quick. I'm sharp. I'm bright. I'm smart. I'm extremely good looking. You guys better do that again. I'm extremely good looking. Good. And I'm a major blessing to my family, my church, and my community. Woo! Amen. Okay, we're off and running. Okay, we're going to go home different. How many of you, because we're that age, have ever gone to like a high school reunion or a business reunion or some kind of get-together where you see people you haven't seen in a long time? And family, or maybe like Bob and I, believe it or not, we were at Hotline 50 years ago. 
I go, we are way too young to have been around that long. But 50 years ago, we were at Hotline. So, but you sit around and you see these people or you talk about what was and how they were. And the person who was voted most likely to succeed didn't. And you see them and you go, dang, what happened to you? And the person that was dealt a really bad deck of cards, like they are knocking it out of the ballpark. And you go, shoot, what happened to you? We do that a lot with our friends, right? Bob's like just looking at me, don't tell on me. So we're not the only ones. It's good, you know them by their fruit. So when we were at Hotline 50 years ago, honestly, everybody there was amazing. We just, it was the 70s. We didn't have time to let moss grow under our feet. We were cooking. They were an amazing group. And we had one guy there named Tom Favro. Bob and I were talking about him yesterday. He was in Lompoc for seven years for drug trafficking. He was this big, tall, white, skinny guy with an afro. It was just when you could do that. And it was kind of thin, and it would kind of wave when he walked. But he was like just this really, wasn't he? He's kind of like this, just this really cool guy. And I'm thinking like, oh, my gosh, what is ever going to happen to this, this dude, you know? Well, then we hear years ago, he went back to school, got his doctorate, and now he's a Christian psychologist, right, psychiatrist. It's like, Tom Favro is a Christian psychiatrist with a doctorate? Hard to believe. Good for him. Then there's this other guy named Ronnie. And I'm telling you, Bob and I don't know a better, a, a person with more anointing for um, evangelist than this guy. He could walk down the street and do street evangelism because everybody was doing it then. I mean, he was nonchalant, very engaging, non-confrontational, and he would just get people saved left and right. I, I'd never seen anything like it. He get up on our Tuesday night hotline hour. It was kind of like our Wednesday night or Sunday night service. And at the drop of a hat, isn't this the truth? He get up and like do the most amazing sermon you ever heard. I doubt the guy even opened his Bible that much. I'm just telling you, he just had it. People would get saved left and right. And I'm thinking, this guy is going to be something else. I mean, I'd love to see him in 20 years. So here we are 50 years later. You know what he's doing? He's down at the beach doing weddings. And I'm going, Ronnie is down at the beach doing weddings? He ought to be going church to church evangelizing because he was that good. But I'm telling you, it, it always boils down to our choice. You know, God wants us to be a success in everything that we do. And in the year 2000, a lot of you might remember this, there was a guy that read the Bible. Now, most of you guys have read the Bible, read Chronicles. He's reading along, and he finds this little tiny prayer from this unknown guy named Jabez. And I'm telling you, I've read it, you've read it, but we just went whoosh, right through it. Well, he reads it and goes, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And he writes a whole book on it. If you put that overhead up, Manuel, it made the New York Times number one bestseller. It sold 9 million copies in two years. He just knocked it out of the ballpark. Manuel, if you could put that up for me. And so here's what it says. Hold on. Here it is. Oh, that you would bless me indeed. So far, so good. Expand my territory, which literally meant help me with my work. I mean, we don't know if he was a farmer, a mailman, or worked at Starbucks. We don't know. But he wanted to expand his territory. And that thy hand might be with me, which when you study the hand of God, you have the favor of God in whatever you put your hand to. You want God to do that too. And that thou wouldest keep me from evil, and God granted him the request. That is amazing. That's what we want. God wants us to be successful. Unless you are out robbing banks, murdering people, selling drugs, selling dope, or prostituting yourself, God wants you to succeed. Anybody here doing any of those things? No. No. 
Listen to the question again. If you're not robbing a bank, you're okay. You got it? Okay. Other than those, God wants you to be a success. Lord Almighty. Escuchen, escuchen. Okay. So here's the problem. It's our definition of the word success. So we tend to think in America, if you have fame, fortune, and notoriety, and power, you are a success. Now, that's not to say you won't be a success if you have those things, but that's not the definition of success. And I want you to think about this. Madonna is famous. Mother Teresa was successful. See the difference? Okay. So God comes to Joshua, and the first chapter, verse 7 and 8, I think it is, two times he tells him, Joshua, I want you to be successful. If you just listen to me and, and do what my word says, he tells him twice, you will be a success. I mean, again, success is a wonderful, wonderful word, and God wants us to have it. So here is the definition of success for a believer. Fulfilling your, say your, divinely ordained reason for being. So your reason for being isn't necessarily my reason for being. Bob wrote a book on our sphere of influence. What is your sphere of influence? What's your area that you can influence? And with whatever you do, if you're a, a doctor, lawyer, Indian chief, mailman, whatever, you have a sphere of influence, and God wants you to reach those people within that. Okay? So let's break that down even more. So here's the ingredients for it. To the ingredients for success is when you have gotten to a point that you're regularly fulfilling the word of God in such a way that, you ready? God is glorified, people are benefited, and the kingdom of God is expanded. So here's the deal. If you're doing that, you're a success. Matter of fact, I was telling Steve this week, we were talking, he, he wandered into my office by accident. Not many people come down there, and when they do, they get a sermon. So I told him, I go, I just read the most amazing story, Steve. I said, this guy was in his mid-30s, a college professor, and um, quit his job. And so his mother called up a friend of his and said, you have got to go see Jack, we'll call him. He, he's just lost it. He quit his job. So this guy goes and sees his friend Jack. He moved out of his house in his little apartment, posters all over, happy as I'll get out. And he goes, like, Jack, what's going on? And he goes, I've never been happier. I just woke up one day, and he said, Christian guy, I'm teaching these students at university. They don't want to be there. They couldn't care less. They don't pay attention. Like, I'm done. I'm done with that. And so his friend goes, well, what are you doing now? And he says, I'm a mailman, and I have never been happier. And he goes, you know, I'm the last one back to the office, the, the main mail station, every day because I have this route. And a lot of these people, I'm the only live person they see every day. They talk. I pray with them. I've gotten to know all of them. He said, I love it. Listen, that guy found a sphere of influence, and he was connecting with these people. He's making a difference. That's what God wants. But here's the problem, that a lot of us, if not all of us, haven't dealt with at one time or another. And this one habit will keep you in your comfort zone and will keep you from really launching out into everything that you could be. And honestly, it cripples us. It will immobilize us. And you won't move on from this. And here it is. It's the habit of comparing ourselves to other people. So what happens is this, and Jesus was big on this. If you read a lot, you'll, you'll get this in the Bible. But if you look at one person, you go, well, they're better than I am, and that puts you down. And you look at somebody else that isn't quite where you are and goes, well, I'm better than they are. And then you're lifted up. It's like stay in your lane for pity's sake. Be who God made you to be because you'll be the, listen, honestly, I would make a really crummy Reggie. 
I don't have the voice. I can't even get him to come over and sing on our side, for pity's sake. But if you're the best you, now give me that next one, because there's no win in comparison. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to Peter? And Peter didn't like necessarily what Jesus was saying, so Peter goes, well, Jesus, what about that guy over there? Remember what Jesus said? What is that to you? What is that to you? And you know, Bob and I can look around. Bob's not Billy Graham, and I'm not Ruth Graham. I'm not looking to her for my, to get my cue from. I'm looking to the word of God. Like, what does God say that we should be? And what does God say that you should be and do that? Because here's how this works. Here is how insidious it is. So being a girl, guys, you can relate. I go out and I get this really cute new pair of shoes. I think it's hot. And then I see you come strutting in, and you got those. And I go, well, your shoes are cuter than mine. There's no win here. So I take this amazing vacation I've always wanted to take, and I come back, and I'm showing you my pictures of my really cool vacation. And you come back, and you show me your vacation pictures. They're better. I'm going, dang. Well, then I get my dream house, the house of my dreams. And I go, this is the best ever. And you come and go, guess where I live? And you show me your picture. I go, shoot. It's beautiful. It's a lot better than mine. And then I get a really, really cool car. And guess what? You come driving up in this. And I'm going, shh. It's shinier. It's faster. I mean, the, the thing is, there's no aha moment. There's no finish line. You're never going to be the fastest, betterest, cutest, nicest, wonderfulest person. There's always somebody going to be better than you. And when you compare, you're always going to be down here. Do you get that? And so when you just when you think you est it, you're the smart est and the, and the strong est, you get old. And then you're the oldest. So then, like, how's that working for you? Okay? So here's my thing. Stay in your lane. So here's the question. Here's our question today. Who and what am I going to look to use as my reference point to tell me I'm okay? What are you looking at? Who's your role model? Who are they? It, it needs to be God. You need to be like Joshua, because I'll tell you this. If you are looking to Hollywood... Number one, they are demon-possessed, demonized, and crazy. I saw, thank you, amen. I didn't look at them. I don't even watch it anymore. But I saw in the news what they did at the Grammys. It was shameful. And they warned you ahead of time, we're going to worship tonight. And then they did, if you didn't know about it, a satanic dance ritual for the Grammys. And everybody thought it was amazing. You have OAC complaining. They showed two commercials about Jesus at the Super Bowl, God forbid, but it's okay to do a ceremony to the, to the devil at the Grammys. I mean, these people are nuts, and they're not much better than half of our legislature or our football and basketball, etc. players. They're just not good role models. These people think men can have babies. They don't know how to define who a woman is. I mean, come on. And so when we allow our children, these people are not virtuous people. And we should be. And so when we allow our children to watch this stuff on TV or to look at it, even to go, well, let's just watch it because we know it isn't real. It's very real. It is very real. So the thing is, I want to be like Joshua. When God said, you pay attention to me and you listen to my word and you will be a success because there's nothing on TV and in our world right now that will aim our families and children and grandchildren at that kind of success that we want if we're going to be a godly generation. Check out this verse. Yes. A sound heart is what? The life of the flesh. Matter of fact, read this with me. 
A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy is a cancer in the bones. Now, why do you think it said in the bones? Why did it say cancer in the bones? Why not just say cancer will make you sick? The bones is the very life. It's where your blood is made. When you have cancer in your bones, that is really, really bad. You got it. So here's how this works. I want you to imagine there are two grocery store owners. It's a very small town, and they have grocery stores across the street from one another. And they're very, very envious of each other. They hate each other. And so if one gets a customer that the other thought he had, he'd snarl, and he'd be grumpy and growly about it. And then if the other guy had got a couple customers or made some big sales, this guy over here, he was just green with envy, got very, very snarly about it. They're just very, very jealous, not nice men. So one day, this, this man shows up at one of the grocery store owners, and he said, tell you what, I have a deal for you. He said, I'm going to give you whatever you want. I'll give you one wish. He goes, but here's the criteria. You can wish for power, money, wealth, women, land, big store, whatever you want. Just know whatever you wish for, the guy across the street is going to get double. So if you want a million dollars, he's going to get two million. If you want health, he's going to be healthier. If you want fame and fortune, he's going to have more fame and fortune. You get it? So he goes, so what do you want? So the grocery store owner thinks, and he thinks, and he wrinkles up his face and kind of presses his lips together, and he goes, I wish that you would strike me blind in one eye. That's what envy is. So it's either it's a sound heart or it's envy, which is cancer to your bones. That's how bad that is. So we're not going to be comparing ourselves. We're not going to be envious. It's not a good road to be on. We're going to celebrate everybody's life. Got it? Celebrate everybody's life. Okay. So with that in mind, we're going to do the parable of the talents today. This is what Jesus taught. He wants these guys to understand what he has given them and how important each and every person is to the kingdom of God. Now, a talent back in the New Testament, it was just some money. That's how they described their money. So it could be one of, the, one of the translation says it's a bag of silver. One called it a bag of gold, but he gave them talents. So here we go. You ready, Manuel? Woohoo! Here we go. Okay. Again. It, the kingdom of God, will be like a man going off on an extended trip who called his own servants. Who did he call? His own. He didn't go outside his group. He called his own servants together and entrusted. He didn't give it to them. He entrusted them with responsibilities. So here's the thing. This is a picture of Jesus giving us gifts. And he goes away for a lifetime and wants to know what we did with them. So he's not like... They're yours forever. He's entrusting you with wonderful, wonderful things. So since we're going to be doing that, let's update it a little bit, and we'll say this was actually a hotel manager who is entrusting – go ahead and put that up – who's entrusting his people with hotels. Can you, can you take that? So instead of giving somebody five bags of gold, he's going to give them five, five hotels to manage. So I found out that Conrad Hilton – this is a Hilton hotel. Oh, go back one, if you would. There. Conrad Hilton has 254 hotels in the U.S. So let's just say, you know, he just wants to, like, get a break from managing these things. And so he's going to give hotels. Are you ready for that? All right. So now here we go. To one, he gave five hotels. To another, two. And to a third, one, depending on their abilities. So here's the thing. He just didn't go, 
eeny, meeny, miny, moe, and pick something out. He looked at their abilities, and he looked at their potential, and he goes, this guy over here, he has the potential to run five. It isn't beyond him to really do well with these. And this guy over here, he can do very well running two. And this guy over here, listen, I wouldn't want to run one hotel. It's a lot to run a hotel. See, he can manage one hotel. That's all they're doing. They're managing it. You got it? Say manage. Manage. Okay. Each according to his ability. So here's the question for today. Where are you on that? Do you have five? Do you have two? Do you have one? So here's the thing. I'm going to make that, I'm going to make that decision for you, lucky ducks. I'm going to give you each two hotels because five, you're not that good. One, you're better than that. Okay? So everybody here has two hotels. So say, I have got two. You've got two. Okay. So here we go. Okay, okay, here we go. Managers don't talk a lot. Right off, <laughs> right off, the first servant went to work and soon opened another five hotels. The second did the same, opening two more hotels. So these guys are busy. Okay, so Emmanuel, give me that next one. How's our computer working? It's frozen. No, that's too far. There we go. Do not freeze in Jesus' name, not today. Okay, okay, so but, say but. The man with the single hotel, get this, closed it down, drained the pool, turned off the power, fired the staff, and hid the key. So here's the thing. Jesus is teaching a parable. I can see hundreds of people just gathered around. They love to hear these parables that he taught. And I could hear them going, oh, my gosh, moaning. This, they knew this is not going to be well for this guy. That he did, they didn't know where it's going, but they knew this was not good. Okay, so after long absence, or after a lifetime, the master of those three servants, Conrad Hilton, are we doing good? Good, came back and settled up for them. And literally, he wants to know this. What did you do with what you had? I gave you five, I gave you two, I gave you one. How you guys been doing? Are you prospering with what I told you to manage? Okay, next one, next verse. The one given five hotels said, Master, you entrusted me with five hotels. See, I've opened five more in Laguna Beach. Yes, yeah, it gets good. His master commended him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now stop right there. Notice this. He didn't say well done, good and famous, rich, powerful servant. All the guy had to do would be faithful with what he's got. He's not asking us to be rich, famous, and powerful. He's just saying, be faithful with what I've given you. Okay, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few hotels. I'll put you in charge of even more things. Come and share your master's happiness. Okay, window number two. Then the man with two hotels also came. Master, he said, you trusted me with two hotels. See, I've opened two more in Orange County. Well, that's hard. His master replied, well done, good and faithful. Are you getting it? Not good and famous, not good and powerful, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the few. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. How are we doing back there? Wait. Wait for it. And the soundtrack changes. So the people are sitting there and they're listening to this. And they're thinking, oh man, this isn't going to go good for that third guy. Because he's the next one we're talking about, right? But what has he done? 
he went out and he buried the key. So it's been a lifetime. And now he's got to go looking for it. Is it under the rock? Is it by the tree? He's not sure, but he finally finds it. Then the man, given one hotel, said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I closed the hotel, drained the pool, shut off the power, fired the staff, and hid the key in the ground. Here it is, safe and sound. See, this guy totally missed the point. It wasn't given to him. He was called in to manage the hotel. And instead, he made ruins of it. And then he's talking to, to Mr. Conrad, and he said, and besides that, it's your fault. It's your fault I didn't manage your hotel. Can you imagine? Okay. His master replied, that's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do least than, less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to hire a manager, keep the hotel open, and make a simple profit. I mean, I'm sure the people that are listening to are thinking like, dude, I mean, at least hire a manager and make it a Motel 6 or something. Uh, you could have done something. But to, but to bury the key, that's just like inexcusable. Goes on. So here's what the manager says. Take the key and give it to the one who risked the most. Now, we, we probably think, no, wait, 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 Jesus, give it to the guy that only has four hotels. He did good, too. We are talking about a, ma a, a, a owner who wants the very best from us. And he got the very best from the guy that has 10 hotels. So that's who this dilapidated hotel is going to. And get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. Throw him where? Outside. Hold on. Yes. Where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you're right. King James says outer darkness. But throw him outside. So we're going, oh my gosh. He sent him to hell. The guy buried the key and Jesus sent him to hell. Oh, my gosh, it's really quiet. Read some commentaries. It's kind of not what he did. This is about the beam of judgment. He threw him outside. So who were the first two guys? He said, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He brought them into his inner circle because they did good. He was commending them. This guy did nothing good. He probably had salvation, but he did nothing with the gifts that were entrusted to him. So he's out out of the inner circle, and again, Jesus said, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth there. Why? Trust me, there will be, read, read um, John Wills Booth, the guy that did uh, Salvation Army, his vision of heaven. There will be some regret in heaven for people that didn't use anything they had. I imagine the thief on the cross that barely got saved, he's going, man, I had my whole lifetime not to blow it. What was I thinking? But here's this guy, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're going, oh my gosh, I can't believe I had these gifts given to me. I had so much going and I didn't do anything with it. And he's weeping going, I had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity and I just blew it. I think there'll be a lot of people that are very sorry they did this. You know, Bob talks to a lot of uh, sound people and we know a lot over the years that helped us with our sound and I know it's too loud sometimes, I'm sorry, we're working on it but we're, we're working on it. It's a lot to do this, just this little building. So he talked to the sound guy once who is a big church in Orange County. I won't say the name of it, but if I did, you'd all know what it was. So he worked there. He was over all the sound and media. So Bob just happened to comment. He said, I imagine it's really easy for you to get volunteers. And the guy said, are you kidding? He goes, you come to this church on any Sunday morning. The parking lot is filled with Lexuses, BMWs, Porsches, Good cars. I, I drive a Jeep. 
and, he, and you won't see a Volkswagen among them. But he goes, it's like pulling teeth to get these people to volunteer one Sunday. And he says, when I can finally get them, I'll go, okay, I got you signed up to help with the media and sound like uh, 8 a.m. service and 10. Well, maybe I can do the 10. I don't think I can do both of them. I mean, it's, it's tough. It shouldn't be like this. Are we using the gifts that God has given us? So here's the bottom line. What you have is less important than what you do with what you have. So let's pretend this for a minute. Let's pretend, you like doing this, pretending, you are a bookshelf. You ready? Here you are. This is you. So the clock represents your time. The family picture is whatever family you have. Um, photo albums, that's your life story. The books, your education. The hammer represents your work. There's your, your cell phone for all your friend connection, your hobbies over there for the, for the ball and your piggy bank. And some people have more in their bookshelf and some people have less, but everybody has basically that. But every bookshelf's different. The quantities and qualities are different, but you are a combination of what is on your bookshelf. And so what Jesus is saying with this parable and this bookshelf here is this. What's on this shelf is not near as important as what you do with what's on the shelf. Do you understand? You can't look around, have a pity party, and go, but I don't, have, I don't have all that money. Do you have any? I don't have a talent. Do you have one? I don't have any time. You got the same amount of time I do. It's getting quiet in here. All right. So aren't, let me ask you, aren't your favorite stories about people is that when you hear about people, not, not the ones that were born with a silver spoon in their mouth, like they were born rich and they were born to a famous family and they were born to a powerful family and they just keep handing it down. I just go, you know, that's why I, I'm so glad I'm not in England. The people that keep doing the monarchy thing, they're just born into it. They're born rich, they're born famous and powerful and they didn't earn it. I'm more into the American thing, like we're going to work for what we have. And trust me, I know a lot of people in this congregation who since young, young on up have worked very hard to get where they're at because it's a principle in the Bible. Those are the stories that we love. They came up from nothing and they are a success because the Bible principles work. And if you're saved, so much the better. But just to give you an illustration of somebody who, a lot of controversy around this person's life, I doubt they're saved, but reading up on them, maybe. We'll find out when we get to heaven. And you all know this person. You've all benefited from this person. But when you study the life of Walt Disney, how many remember this guy? Don't moan. Listen, I grew up at Disneyland, Orange County. It was an amazing place to be. Would I go back today? No. I wouldn't give them a penny. They're into the occult. They are bad and wicked and uh, woke. So that said enough there. But let's go study the man for, the, for a minute. When he was seven, he was drawing pictures, going door to door in his neighborhood, selling them to earn money from the family. Seven. That's second grade. When he was 10, he was down at the railroad track selling newspapers to earn money. And he just developed this lifelong love of trains. That's why you see trains all the time with his stuff. Then he's kept, he just kept illustrating. That's the gift. I mean, God's not going to take the gifts back just because someone doesn't get saved. But that's the gift God gave him. He drew and drew and drew. He went bankrupt. He formed a company with his brother. He got kicked out of a company because he wasn't creative enough. But eventually, long story short, he developed... Disneyland, you all know it. We all be anybody not been there? One person. You, don't don't go. I was gonna say you gotta go, but don't go. And the last time I went, this is what it looked like. It was it was terrible. My mother wanted to go for her 90th birthday. We begged her, please, mom, anywhere but Disneyland. 
no, I want to go one more time. So we did, and that's what it looked like. It was awful. But you know, when he died, he was worth $1 billion. And I think it's probably even more right now. But, but the thing is that he, successful people don't get up every morning and go, gosh, I wonder, I wonder what everybody else is doing. If I just had more money, if I just had more education, if I just lived somewhere else, if I just had different parents, they don't do that. They look at what, what God has given them. They look at their bookshelf and go, I'm going to get up today and do what is set before me with what I have, and I will be a success in that. And especially being believers, we have that advantage. Do you see that? When we pray that prayer of Jabez, it's like, God, just give me the favor of God. Put your hand on what I do and enlarge my territory. And God said, yes? Are we praying that? Go look it up in Chronicles. It's an amazing prayer. So here's our bottom line here. What are you going to do with, God, with what God has entrusted to you? And I think we'd all agree. We all know we don't want to be that one hotel guy. We don't want to be the person with the shelf that buries the time and buries the, 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 um, the talents and buries your education. Use whatever you have to your advantage, to the kingdom's advantage. So I'm going to close with this. A drink of water. Hold on. I was thinking about this this week, and, you know, every once in a while, since I've had cancer, people will ask me, you know, what was it like, or what did you get out of it, did you profit from it, and it's, I, I know it's kind of an uneasy question for people to ask, because it was a horrendously terrible time in my life, it was hard on my family, on our church family, on me, I mean, any time somebody comes up and goes, it's, it's almost Easter, and you probably won't be here for Christmas, you have stage four metastatic kidney cancer, kidney bladder cancer, and it's just everywhere. So don't even do chemo. Goodbye. Uh, it's hard, and it, it really kind of hits you in the face, and you have to kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and go, you know, either God has promised me longevity in my life, which he has, and a lot of promises, and stand on that. You know, I always tell people, doctors have the facts, but God has the truth. And Bob and I stood on the truth. And so... But they'll ask, like, did you learn anything? And, and I used to say, no. I mean, I was so mad that I'd had it. No. Not mad at God. Mad at just Satan or however, wherever it came. But, you know, I have to say, it does change you. I mean, Al, you've had cancer. It's not good, colon cancer. And you get these diagnoses and go, how is this going to turn out? But I will say it's changed me in two ways for the better. Number one, there is not a morning that I don't get up and appreciate my day. I'm telling you, I love life before I can be pretty crazy about it, but I really love life right now. And I'll, I'll sit down and go, you know, I shouldn't be here, but I should. <laughs> this is what God has for me. But honestly, very easily I could not have been here for the past six, seven years. I am so blessed to have day after day after day. And the other thing I realize is I want to take advantage of every opportunity to do good and expand the kingdom because I do realize how short life really is. Life is, my mom's going to be 98 next month. And if you ask her, she'll say it went by like that. She's almost 100. She's born in 1925. So I, I want to take advantage. And I, I told Bob the other day, it was Friday. It was so cold in our house. I go, you know, I'm going out to Stater Brothers. I'm just going to grab some stuff for soup. We're having hot soup for the next two, three days. So I go to the store and I get my broth. And I'm always lecturing Carolyn. This is how you do the soup. Get the real broth and all the veggies. And I did. And I put some ice cream in there for later. So I'm trudging out with my bags, and for some reason at Stater Brothers, they have this, like, this little podium thing now with this girl be behind it. And so she was there, and there was a, a man that worked at the store standing there too. And so I just kind of went over and said hi and engaged him in conversation. 
and he said, um, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, privately. And I said, well, sure. And he goes, outside. I go, okay. So we go outside the doors, and we stop where um, those little rough little bubbly yellow things are. So we're standing right there, and he is unfolding and loading this horrendous story of what his family is going through. It's, it's huge. So I set my bags down and listened. Finally, I got in my purse, and I got out one of these cards. We put these down here again because, you know, it's one thing to tell somebody about your church. But I guarantee you, you walk away, and a half hour later, they'll go, where was that church that gal talked about again? And what time was the service? And what's the phone number? They're clueless. But when you hand them a card, you can write your name on it. You can write your phone number on it. So I handed him a card, and I said, listen, the person that is at the center of this whole family situation you're going through may not want to talk to me, but I said, here's name the church, phone number. You have him call me whenever he wants. I, would, I think I have something to tell him good, and I would love to talk to him. And maybe just somebody outside the family situation would be a good thing. That was it. I mean, that's how easy it is to use an opportunity. And you know what? If the opportunity isn't there, I'm like Smith Wigglesworth. Kick the door in and make one happen. You know, too often we're like, I don't know, like nothing, nothing happened today. Like nobody came up to me and knocked me down and wanted to, wanted to say, how do I get saved? They're probably never going to do that. But when you take the opportunity and go out and push the door a little bit, Bob will tell you, there is hardly a time when we don't go out together. We'll go to the sand and gravel and rock place, and they're loading in rock, and I'm going, so, like you live in Hemet, and you have a family, and your kids go to Christian school? or I mean, I will make a way to open the door that I can eventually hand that guy a card. They're all over the place. That's why we make him available to you. It's so easy to use that opportunity because here's what Paul said. He said, we have to fight the good fight. So I, I'm not, I told you a couple weeks ago when I taught on a demon possession two or three nights, Sunday nights ago, I didn't choose this fight. This is Satan chose it. You know, God wants us to prosper and be in health as our soul prosper it. But Paul said, there are principalities and powers in high places and now in low places where we are, and we need to fight the fight, good fight because we have an adversary working against us. He is working against your family. He's working against your children. He's working against your finances. He would love to shut this church down. He would love to shut down every Christ-centered church. He'd love to pass more laws that say we can't teach the whole gospel of Christ. Listen, they're working on it. When you have them going, it's hay language to say a man can't become a woman. That's what they think. They love to pass those laws, and those people have the power to do it. Don't think it can't happen here. And if you're paying attention, you've probably heard more people from Asia, from China, from um, uh, other nations are coming in saying, North Korea, America, pay attention. Exactly what is starting to happen here is what it began in our country, and look where we're at. They destroyed our history. They took away our heroes. They made it illegal to have church and have Bible studies. They burned our Bibles. They threw people in jail. They've killed us. And you don't think it can happen here? We're, we're looking at all the red flags in your nation. It's happening here. So I came across a video I want to show you. Somebody could hit the lights. Ed Young interviewed a Chinese gal. It's only like barely two minutes. And they, they hit her face. She's not going to give you her name. But this is what... Other people from other nations are saying to us as Christians. Are you ready? Okay, hit it.
I lived in Houston for 22 years. I fled from China, but I cannot show my face because I'm concerned of my family's safety back in China. In that region, you do not have any freedom. You do not have any choice. You don't have a free speech. You don't have a free religions. And we have churches, but those are church leaders, they are Communist Party member. If you have a Bible study, which is unauthorized, they consider that as a crime. You can be arrested. And I came to United States just for not only freedom and all for the American dream and a fair chance. And this country has become more and more like communist. I can see what's happening here now and which this country is getting divided. That's not what I wanted to see this country become. As Americans, I think we should wake up now. We should see the big picture of what is coming. We cannot be influenced by the social media and by the media what they told us. And we have to use our critical thinking to see the truth, to dig a little bit, to spend a little more time and focus on what's going on. As Christians, we also called to stand up, to face the evil, to fight with the devil, and to not be silenced in front of evil. And that's what, what we're supposed to do as a Christian now. world admires every passionate enthusiasm except one. That's the love for God. And that's the truth. And if you get out there and you are passionately enthusiastic about witnessing and evangelizing and sharing the gospel and loving the Lord and worshiping, trust me, no one in the world is going to pat you on the back. But one day when you enter in, God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He just is. And so what we want to do today, Bob and I want to pray for you, you know, the Bible says to stir up the gifts that are in you. You all have things on that bookshelf. You all have hotels. You all have things that you are managing. All you have to do is stir them up and get that fire going. You know, someone once asked, um, um, the guy started Salvation Army. It's like, how do we get a revival going in America? And his answer was, you set yourself on fire and people will come to watch you burn. They will. It doesn't matter what they think. It's like, what is that to you, Peter? Nothing. I'll just keep moving. <laughs> That's us. Set yourself on fire and people will come to watch you burn. Get that anointing kicked in and get out and get excited when you enter the mission field knowing you have something to offer the world. You have something to offer your neighbor and your friends and your family that they are in desperate need of. Amen? So we're just going to pray real quick. Again, Bob and I are going to pray. There's cards up here. But let's just pray that anointing down that will enable us to take our community and set it on fire from us. Okay, so Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this word. And Satan, I bind you from immediately coming and stealing any of it. I thank you that's going into good ground. We're going to have a harvest from it. We're going to grow from it. We're going to expand, and we're going to manage the giftings and the talents and the gold and the silver and the hotels that you gave us, and we are going to have a good reward for that, for your kingdom. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen.
Thank you for joining us today at DP City Church. We would love the opportunity to pray for you, and we are believing God will do big things in your life this year. You can contact us at info.dpcitychurch.com. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can visit www.dpcitychurch.com. Thanks again. God bless.